This is Tech Transforms. I'm Carolyn Ford. Each week, Mark Sinell and I talk with top influencers to explore how the U.S. government is harnessing the power of technology to solve complex challenges and improve our lives. Hi, thanks for joining us here on Tech Transforms. I am Carolyn Ford with my co-host, Mark Sinell. Hi, Mark. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. And um, I'm excited to introduce today's guest, Andre Zook, who's Principal Solutions Architect at CTG and author of several eBooks. Today, we're going to talk about one of his latest eBooks, Software Intelligence for Federal Government, The Road to AI Ops. And it focuses on cloud development, migration in the federal government. Andre, welcome to Tech Transforms. Good to be here. Well, Welcome thank you. Andre. Yeah. And so let's start with the easy stuff. Tell us your story. So what do you do? Where are you talking to us from? And, and how did you get to where you are now? Sure. So uh, my background is actually electrical engineering. And I used to design satellite systems and their uh, the networks that go along with them for uh, Department of Defense. And then, uh, well, wait, that, that's mm. super cool. I didn't know that. <laughs> but from that, I went to the side of sales and I was actually selling a lot of Palo Alto uh, products and some one optimization solutions. And then from there, I transitioned to the world of cloud. And that's kind of where, how I got into the whole application performance management space. So I was at a startup called Sky High Networks. Uh, They were one of the early cloud access security brokers. And we were dealing with uh, cloud apps and securing cloud apps for government customers. And so that's where I kind of had the experience of dealing with uh, the federal government workers trying to uh, modernize their applications. And then Sky High Networks got bought by McAfee. Uh, and so I was a solutions architect for cloud technologies with McAfee for, uh, for a year or so. And then I moved on to CTG Federal to take on a principal, uh, architect position to help build their cybersecurity business, uh, with a little bit of APM sprinkled in. So, and we're Dynatrace partner. So I think that's how, yes. Uh, yeah. We, we, sh- we should say we, that right yes. up front that we, we are partners, but, I, I before we get into it, Mark, I gotta I gotta go back to the satellite stuff. Yeah. So so how does that compare to what you're doing now? Like how long did you do that? Uh wow, probably six years. Uh, but ultimately everybody needs Facebook and satellites, satellite platform get updated only like once every 10 years, right? So <laughs> it's all about yeah. software. Oh, so this is like a lot, a lot faster for you then, like yes, it's yes. quicker pace. Okay, all right. Does, does does the world that you're playing in now, Andre? Is it just more? Is it is it more kind of high level, um, uh, conceptual as opposed to the engineering work that you might have done working on satellites? Well, uh, so the world, uh, so it's interesting. It's more the world is more about software now than it ever was before. Mm-hmm. Just to give you an example, YouTube platform, right? The the one that's. Uh, got shot down by the Soviets. <laughs> yeah. That is still in operation. So, so that airborne frame still exists, but the internals get modernized. And so the uh, the internals get modernized with new circuits, new equipment, but the software on those circuits and gets changed 
quite frequently. We truly are living in a software world, aren't we? Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. which makes application performance management and software intelligence that much more important. Yeah, it gets us yeah. right to our our the one of the first things we want to talk to you about is the title of this ebook that you wrote, Software Intelligence for Federal Government: The Road to AI Ops. Um, I'd like you to unpack it a little bit for me. So, first, what does it mean? What do you mean by software intelligence for federal government? And then what do you mean by the road to AI ops? So let's touching on Mark's question. So we live in a world powered by applications. The applications are everywhere. They control how we work and collaborate, how we book travel, how we get our entertainment, how we get medical care, file taxes. But the thing is, these applications have grown in scale. So it used to be not so long ago, even as far back as 10 years ago, we would have just a couple servers with some backend storage in a rack somewhere, maybe Equinix or something like that, our rack space. Um, but now that's changing. All of a sudden, applications are running on top of complex compute infrastructures that are dynamic, hybrid, and multi-cloud. And now they're, they, these environments contain hundreds, if not thousands of technologies millions of lines of code, and billions, literally billions of dependencies. Um, so traditionally, we manage all these applications with through a set of disparate point tools. This is what we call tooling. So each one that required human involvement, and this is also what we used to call application performance management, different tools reporting back to us. But as application applications grew, uh, the traditional data centers from traditional data centers into cloud and subsequently into public and hybrid clouds. So the old ways of doing things could no longer scale. So the volume of data aggregated by all these monitoring and observability point tools quickly became so immense that no human can make sense of it. And there's also an issue of the unknown unknowns. So you can't stage for something that you have no clue can even happen. So we needed a new approach, and this is where we need to make the, all these sensors to be intelligent, make sense of all this data. And so uh, this is where the software intelligence comes into play. The software intelligence, we need to imbue these monitoring solutions with intelligence to make sense of all this stuff. So have you seen that shift? Like you talk about, you know, you started the story where it was a, a lot more simple was that the case like when you were working on the satellites and you've seen yes you've yes. seen this shift through your career yes so i'll give you an example so uh, what the old school application performance management circa 2010 uh, it was primarily network based so we would have so for example i worked with a company called riverbed and mm -hmm. back then riverbed was one of the hottest uh, companies in Silicon Valley, and they bought this startup from uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, uh, and, which was called, uh, I forgot what it was called, but it was called Cascade, Cascade. And the whole, all it did is it took uh, packets from the network and made predictions about application performance based on flows and packet capture. That's it. There are also a lot of competing uh, solutions from the likes of NetScout, JDSU, and a couple of others. So it was all just flows in the network. But now as things are changing, going to the cloud, those solutions are no, no longer relevant. 
And so you need uh, something new. So this, this is like a, this isn't just a fundamental shift. I like, I, I feel like this is like a leap forward. I wouldn't say that it's equivalent to the invention of fire, but maybe <laughs> like, maybe like this is right. It's yes. really huge to me. So um, it's interesting. So this is where kind of the, the world of AI ops came to be. So, um, so AI, AI, artificial intelligence operations. So I think it's a Gartner term, but ultimately it's referred uh, to a suite of products or a platform, software platforms that that bring together, act as a force multiplier for correlating data across application performance management tools, IT infrastructure monitoring. And so this would be like your SolarWinds type stuff and network performance uh, monitoring and the other diagnostics. And so um, at this point, AI ops is moving forward to now being uh, this overarching umbrella, which now encompasses application performance, infrastructure monitoring, uh, AI ops, which I think is mostly like we used to think of it as opening tickets, for example, and maybe automating ServiceNow, uh, mm-hmm. ticketing and response. But now we also include digital business analytics, which is especially important to like the likes of, say, Uber and the digital experience. And, and so, in, yeah, actually, and user experience. Right. Yeah. And especially okay. if we think about the likes of Uber, this is where these kind of platforms really come into play just behemoths. Yeah. How do you make sense of it all? Well, and you, so you mentioned something about like our lives are run by, I mean, you said the word millions and billions, even at one point. Like billions all of these, code and dependencies. Yeah. Yeah. And dependencies and applications. So give me some, give me some examples. Um, some, some use cases. Yeah. Tell me a story about AI ops and like, how, I guess, how we're using it now, maybe compared to how, what what we were doing before. Sure. You kind of so, already uh, talked well, about that. So since this is, uh, I feel like we are talking more uh, public sector, federal space. So I think yeah. one of the best use cases that's easy to latch on to, even before undergoing through this transformation technology and re-architecting all your uh, software, it's probably just mean time to recovery. So Mean time to recovery or MTTR mm-hmm. that refers to ability to recover a system back to an operational state. And when you have billions of dependencies, something goes amiss. How do you how do you figure out what the issue is? And so this is uh, where an AI ops can come into play and have be able to help you figure out find a needle in the haystack. And so you go from uh, and so you go from weeks of war, war room teams trying to figure out what the issue is, isolating components and testing to literally hours because you have all this data uh, and it's not just a sea of information. It's very precise nuggets of information telling you when something is amiss. So that's kind of the, the easiest to digest use case. The other one, which is very, uh, very much a federal I feel like federal specific is mission continuity between contracts. Uh, so imagine you have a big contractor like a Northrop Grumman uh, running the show at one of the satellite facilities I worked with for the Department of Defense. 
And then that contract expires and maybe Raytheon comes in to run the show. Uh, in, in an ideal world, that'd be documentation to kind of to bridge from one contractor to the next. But in the real world, uh, documentation is usually lacking and key personnel have moved on. So um, how do you go about figuring out all the dependencies and process-to-process relationships in like a maybe satellite imager, imaging system, for example, that one of these software factories uh, is developing. And actually, we talk about this pre-show, but to the listener, the software, so within the DOD, DOD is probably the biggest proponent of DevOps, and they're on the forefront of re-architecting a lot of these legacy applications and making new ones uh, cloud native. Uh, and so the big software factories are the ones like Platform One, Castle Run, Thundercam, Blue Sky, Sonicube, there are a bunch of them. So these guys uh, support these enormous applications. And how do you make sense of these applications when the, the contracts change? This is where an AI ops tool is of great help. So I can keep, keep so going. Is there any questions? Well, yeah, I'm not sure how, how, sorry, this is probably a stupid question, <laughs> but how does the AI ops tool help that shift from contractor A to contractor B? Sure. So uh, the the tool would help with mapping out dependencies, both horizontally oh, oh, between oh, oh. components at the same okay. time. It's keeping track of everything. Yeah, between components of different type, and then you will get a real-time map of the entire application stack end-to-end from you know your customer's web browser all the way to the application down to the underlying containers and infrastructure, uh, cloud resources, and so on. So you basically, uh, all of a sudden, that stack of hay is no longer a stack of hay, but a logical interconnection of resources. Yeah, see, I guess consumers. this is going to reveal how much of a developer I am not. I thought all that stuff was had to be linked anyway but you're telling me it's not. You need some kind of like third entity to map it. So in an ideal world, you're right. Uh, But I've been in situations where, uh, so there was a a hasty hire and uh, the, the developer did not provide any inline documentation of any kind, no comments within the code. So making sense of that is almost impossible without a third-party tool mapping all those dependencies. Andre, how do you think agencies are managing through uh, these use cases like we're talking about um, this digital transformation yeah. today? What if they don't have that tool in place? Like, or they're just- Right now, it's, it's a very much uh, just human elbow grease. No. <laughs> That's not po- that's not even possible. Uh, you'll be surprised. I, I can't reveal a lot of uh, things I've experienced <laughs> firsthand. <laughs> but things um, y- you'd be surprised. So it's um, what you know what you see in science fiction movies. These security operations centers like Starship Enterprise, those do exist, but they are far and few in between. And the reality of things, especially with the smaller agencies and. Uh, it's like three or four guys in a cube farm looking at alerts and dashboards every couple times a week. So without a tool like this, uh, you really, it's very difficult. And actually this is 
Um, this brings up to the next use case, well, maybe the next two use cases. So one is helping augment IT staff shortages. Mm -hmm. So I think we're like, for example, I get hit up on LinkedIn several times a day uh, and federal government can compete with the commercial vendors like the Dynatraces of the world. So they have to do more with less, right? And uh, like, for example, we have a civilian agency that was piloting a, a Dynatrace tool uh, for intelligent observability. And they were using Dynatrace to, with Ansible to practically detect and remediate memory leaks in a large enterprise application. Uh, so the tool would receive, so Dynatrace would receive telemetry from the running processes, and then we'll use AI to determine if the telemetry it received is indicative of a memory leak. So, and this is not something a human can do, but if you're an AI operations platform, you have a statistical, a broad statistical data set to make a decision upon. And so... You say, okay, this is indicative of a memory leak at a very early stages, and then the tool integrates with Ansible to restart the call process without any human intervention required. What do you mean restart the call process? Like fix it? A call, oh, culprit, yes. So, for example, it's just uh, a container that has some poorly written code on it that is overutilizing uh, the memory of the hypervisor it's running on. Uh, sometimes the easiest way to fix these pro problems is just killing the process and bringing it back up, simple as that. But if you're a human and you maybe have hundreds of containers running this micro, a copy of this microservice to support many threads, you don't know which one is problematic. So you have an AI ops tool can tell you exactly, hey, this container has a memory leak, let's kill it and bring it back up. And so you also minimize human error that's that's another huge thing. And this is actually uh, ties back to the next use case of help desk automation. So all these agencies usually rely on a IT service management platforms like ServiceNow, for example, or um, it used to be BMC Remedy. I think it's now rebranded as BMC Helix, uh, which you can run on-prem. There's also like SolarWinds has a couple tools like that. So an AI tool, AI ops tool would be able to tongue twister, right? <laughs> Especially for Ukrainian like me. Uh, so the tool would detect a new ticket being created and it would parse its content and apply AI to take an appropriate action and maybe send an email for Joe, the engineer, to go do action X. So you may have an application that worked prior to a, a new code release. And then you have a code upgrade and users are experiencing issues. Well, you can configure the solution, the AI ops tool or the software intelligence platform to automatically roll back code to the last working version. And the, the software intelligence platform will take care of all interdependencies and do it correctly every time. Imagine doing that just by uh, us humans manually the room for error is immense. And even if you roll back the code to the previous state, you probably forget one or two interdependencies and you're in a world of hurt. So, but with a software intelligence platform, that can be all automated. And actually in federal government, that's kind of the key takeaway when you talk to federal customers. Uh, so I was in cyber and you were trying to sell them all these point products. 
they're like, look, guys, uh, I'm, I know it's great, but I don't have time for this. I have three guys doing all these things. Uh, we need something that provides automation. So automation, like you asked about before uh, uh, we started chatting, what is the big takeaway for federal government? I think automation is, is that journey to automate as much as possible. So I think, I don't know if this is, well, based on what you just said, this is not a founded fear, but I think there is a fear when you talk about AI and when you talk about automation, that it means like loss of jobs because the robots are going to take over and take yes. my job. Yes, oh yes. yes. <laughs> so, but it <laughs> sounds Skynet. like, <laughs> yeah, but, but what I heard you say is, and I've heard this from other people too, like Willie Hicks, our, C- our federal CTO, um, that AI really makes it so... It empowers workers yes, and enables you. them to perform at their best, yes. The, the, the shortage, I mean, the stats are out there. Uh, there's simply not enough people uh, to do this. Data keeps growing at exponential rates. I think, uh, don't quote me on this, but it's like in the last year, we've generated more data than in all humanity, in all humanity, like since the uh, like World War II or something like that. Right. I wonder, I wonder if you're seeing, Andre, that 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 fear of you know uh, losing jobs is really not the issue because in a cloud-first mandated uh, world, particularly in the federal space, um, that it really allows organizations to take their uh, their smart people and reallocate them and have them do things that they were really intended to do in the first place, as opposed to You're triage right. all the time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah so, so do you, you, go ahead. So we, you see, so have the, the issue uh, where, so with all these disciplines growing, there's the broad knowledge and the, the deep knowledge. And unfortunately, a lot of the smart people are now spread thin, having to be experts in multiple areas, but there's only so much CPU, even a smart person uh, can allocate to all this. So. I feel like a software intelligence platform tool can help go deep and take care of all those nuances. I mean, even if you look at the field of networking, used to be, like say with networks, we would configure everything box by box. And to, even to this day, a lot of most of say the legacy networks and data centers in federal government and even in commercial space are configured box by box. If you do it, so this is why we have CCIEs were making so much money back in the day, uh, the Cisco certified internet experts for those not familiar. But now there's a move to automation, even with uh, networks and cloud. So now with a cloud, uh, if when you deploy a data center in the cloud, Amazon or Azure, they have a controller mm-hmm. that tells all these basic white box switches with some ports and cards in them, hey, do X and these millions of boxes have the same code that's identical across the board. The, the room for error is zero, basically. Andre, where do you do you think do you where do you think the the government agencies are in this uh, journey? Are we at the beginning of the of the curve, or are we more towards the end of the curve? Definitely the beginning. And it's what's interesting is that the DoD uh, is leading charge. But what's interesting with, um, so uh, there's, with, with the Biden administration, there was a reallocation. So with all these hacks, 
there was extra funding provided even for civilian agencies to uh, to modernize their existing uh, systems. And this is a, actually this is a great thing for software intelligence platforms. Like, I think I don't have it in front of me, but like Social Security Administration still uses Fortran. Uh, and, what is, uh, wait, what to, is Fortran? Formula. That sounds bad. It's, bad, right? it's an ancient code. Okay. Yeah, You're too young. Like, okay. yeah. <laughs> of course, in the Soviet Union, right? It was so last kid, year. <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so we still have systems relying on the ancient codes from the 70s to uh, oh. pay out security be- uh, social security benefits. And this is prevalent across the board. Wait, are you so messing think, with me? Like, are you serious? Oh. The 70s? Uh, in the notes of this show, I'll provide you with some uh, with, with some notes to all the projects that are currently have funds allocated to modernize. And this is again in light of all this hacking cyber activity. And then Biden followed it up with the executive order on May twelfth, uh, talking about zero trust and stuff like that. So, 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 Andre, um, h- how do you think that the this the ho- the whole concept of AI ops and what we're talking about applies to the uh, executive order, the cybersecurity executive orders, and, mm. and the the need to address some of those issues? I think it comes back to automation because mm-hmm. the executive mm-hmm. order is is very broad and right zero. So so section three of the executive order calls out zero trust specifically, but. Um, the beauty of the, the modern architectures, unlike the legacy architectures, is that we design zero trust almost by default at this point. And I, you know, I could keep talking. I've actually learned a lot, Andre. Um, and I'm going to take us to our final Tech Talk questions, not to be confused with TikTok, because our Tech Talk questions are a lot more intelligent. So. <laughs> no dance routines. So I can't dance. Well, honestly, <laughs> I mean, maybe I should add that in. Mark is one of our final questions. No, but, um, <laughs> Mark can dance at the end. All right. Okay. Sorry. It's so digressing. Um, so first question, Andre, um, what do you think the next big leap in technology is going to be? Hmm. I think it's automation. We're coming back to the concept of automation. Not enough people do the work. Yeah, you got me there right at the beginning. I was like, "Whoa, wait!" I think we're on this prep, 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 precipice. Precipice, yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> all right. Um, and the, you know what's interesting is that it's it, it permeates all aspects. So it's not just coding. For example, in security, which is my background, there's this whole concept of security orchestration and automation and response. Mm-hmm. And it also ties back to zero trust because with zero trust, you need to be able to dynamically uh, take action on particular events based on user behavior because we have the the user and the resource and control plane that makes a decision. And the only way to back to Biden's order to enable zero trust is through automation, whether it's on the security side and whether it's on uh, application performance management and maintaining these gigantic microservices architectures. And I think eventually there'll be a convergence of all these technologies uh, into some sort of one unifying brain, which is also- Wait, is that brain gonna take over my job? (laughs) Hopefully not. (laughs) Is it going to be uh, called Jarvis? (laughs) (laughs) All right. But AI will definitely be there. 
We need the AI. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So tell us what you, what inspires you in the world of tech? Like, what are you reading, listening to, watching? So my my big thing now is actually uh, data center technologies. Um, and it's kind of, so I came from kind of the infrastructure world, but I feel like with cyber, we're, which is what I've done for the last six years, we're a little bit oversaturated with these point vendors. And there is definitely a shift towards uh, kind of the big companies. Mm-hmm. But in the data center world, uh, there's no faking it. You have, your packet has to go from side, from point A to point B. And how do you scale and mass? So for example, there's this big, uh, so there's this class architecture, uh, which was existed from t- the telephony days of old. And it's uh, basically this guy named Charles Claus said, hey, this is the architecture that works best for routing telephone uh, systems. Well, now the same architecture is being used to scale data centers uh, at cloud scale. And to me, all the technologies surrounding automation of data centers and how do you have these, how do you have this cool UI and orchestrate the back end? To me, that's uh, something I'm really excited to read and learn about. So are you telling Back us that automation. you're reading, like, are you reading documentation manuals for fun? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, when I'm um, not playing guitar, playing with my daughter. Ah, uh, there we go. Okay. The the guitar, that, that sounds uh, way more fun than reading documentation manuals. Um, what technology do you use most in your life? Like your personal life, like app or gadget? What's the thing, what's your go-to? My go-to is trying to eliminate noise as much as possible and not having apps to go to because sometimes Amen. that just create. I mean, it's weird a point where too much information is making people lose track of how to read a book and study. And that's one thing that's kind of my big pet peeve now we think we have access to a Wikipedia article, but nothing beats reading a book or like watching a structured lecture on a subject. You can't get that from an app. I love that. It's funny. This sounds just like uh, what our customers are trying to do. Well, this has been really fun. Thank you, Andre. Um, I'm going to call you later because I would really like to go to those Starship Enterprise data centers. So um, <laughs> I'm going to hit you up about where those are. <laughs> But thank you so much for taking time today. Thank you, Carolyn. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, Andre. It was a pleasure. Yeah, same. So thanks to our listeners for joining. If you enjoyed our episode today, please smash that like button, share this episode, and we will see you next week on Tech Transforms. Thanks for joining Tech Transforms. Please post a review, share this episode, and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. 